I don't like to ask for help. I don't like to rely on others to help me. I kind of like to get by on my own and fix things that I break and, and be able to do things on my own. So a week ago Friday, when I slipped on some ice, I was really mad at myself for not watching for ice. And I was kind of mad at myself for not um, salting the step so that it wasn't icy. And when I picked myself up and looked and assessed how I was doing, I realized that I was maybe going to need some help. This, this finger was pointed off in a direction it should not have been. Now, I'm, I'm gonna, if you're a little queasy about medical things, maybe look away for a moment, but we're going to show you a picture of the x-ray so you can get a sense of this. So go ahead and put that up there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you can put it down. Some are feeling queasy, right? Yeah, when you look down and, you, and your finger is going off at a 45-degree angle, you know something's wrong, right? So, you know, being a guy who's got a few loose joints anyway, and I've had a few things kind of pop out and go back in, I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just pull that back in. <laughs> You're getting queasy from that one? Okay. <laughs> uh, I just thought, well, I'll get it back in. You know, I'll just give it a good pull. No, it wasn't moving. So I thought, oh man, I'm gonna have to bug some doctor at emergency. I'm gonna have to go and get some help with this one. I had two daughters with me at the time. They took me up to the emergency at the hospital and, and uh, an intern and a doctor, they pulled on this finger trying to get it back into place and it was not moving for them. So they had just uh, scheduled an appointment for me to go up to London and have a plastic surgeon look at it and try and figure out how they could get this thing back into place, right? And I'm going, oh man, this is such a bother. Come on, let's, let's get this. And the, the doctor just decided to give it one more try and she got it into place. And I was just like, oh, it's great. It's, and it, you know, instantly the pain is subsided considerably and, and everything was much better. Now, you know, I'm sorry for being a little bit graphic and que you know, giving you the queasiness there, but I think there is a spiritual lesson here in this. I think a lot of us in our spiritual lives don't like to have to get things done for us. We like to think we can take care of ourselves and we can look after ourselves and we don't like things that are kind of free gifts to us. We don't like, you know, to think that eternal life is just completely free or we don't like to think that salvation is just completely free. We, we like to think, well, you know, Jesus kind of likes me. And therefore, he gives me all of this stuff. We're gonna, it's a human thing to think that way, right? So we're going to look at some passages of Scripture today that speak into our spiritual life on what we can and can't do in our spiritual lives to receive gifts from God. John Chapter 5, verses 1 through 17, we're continuing to look at the Gospel of John and continuing to, continuing to think about who is this Jesus. And today we're going to talk about him as the grace giver. He is the one who gives grace. So John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the Sheep Gate, was the pool of Bethesda, 
In some of your translations, it might say Bethsaida, but it's the same place, Bethesda, Bethsaida, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. Sorry, They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you are well, so stop sinning or something else worse, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. So here we have this man who is sick, surrounded by a whole bunch of other people who are sick, and they're waiting by this pool, uh, waiting for a miracle. Now, the scholars that have researched this and have looked into this believe that there was a bit of a myth that had grown up surrounding this pool. And the idea was that every once in a while, an angel came down and did something to the pool. And if you were the first one into the pool after that, you got a healing miracle. And most scholars would agree that it's probably was a bit of a myth that had developed there. It's not, you know, God doesn't really work on a lottery system where, you know, he comes down and, 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 does that sort of thing like that. So most scholars would say it was probably a myth that built up around this. But here's this man waiting for his chance, and many others are waiting for their chance to be healed at this pool of Bethesda. Now, Jesus comes to this one guy, and, and, and uh, I'm thinking, well, why this guy? Why would Jesus come to this particular person? There's a lot of people standing there. We're told that there's a crowd of people there. Um, Now, this guy had been sick for a long time, 38 years, so maybe that's why Jesus is, that's certainly worthy of of, of going and helping this man. But there were a lot of other people there that could have been helped that day. And why didn't Jesus heal a whole bunch of them or all of them on that day? And so Jesus walks up to this man and he says, uh, would you like to be healed? The man's response is a little bit lame. Uh, Yeah, pun intended there. The response is a little bit lame. I don't have, I I can't get healed because when when the water gets bubbling, there's nobody to put me into the water and somebody always gets there ahead of me. Well, 
I'm trying to like this guy. I, I, I really do want to like this guy, but he's making it a little hard for me to like him. Jesus says, would you like to get well? I want him to respond with, yeah, <laughs> I want to get well. I want it to be like some kind of old-fashioned revival uh, service. And, you know, who wants to get healed? And he jumps up and says, I want to be, you know, that's not what's going on here. I'm trying to like this guy, but he's, he's, he's just not terribly likable so far. Um, he says, I, I can't get healed. Uh, I don't have anybody to put me in the water when the water is stirred. And, and then I'm asking the question, well, why have you been wasting your time sitting at this pool? If you know you can't be healed, why are you sitting there? It's like sitting outside of the hospital and you haven't got any way to get into the doctor, but you just sit there anyway. Now, the guy presumably had been waiting there for lots of time and waiting for somebody to take pity on him, waiting for people to probably help him with charitable givings. And that's probably how he made a living, was sitting there at the pool, waiting for people to take care of him. And so, you know, again, my bent towards wanting to take care of myself, I'm thinking, this guy isn't very, very good at this. And he's a little bit whiny, you know, like, eh, there's nobody to put me in the water. <laughs> I'm trying to like this guy, but I'm not really liking him so far. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, Jesus should just move on. Go find somebody who wants a miracle, right? But what does Jesus do? He doesn't move on from this guy. He says, pick up your mat and walk. Go home. And that's what the guy does. He just picks up his mat and walks. And he doesn't even say anything to Jesus, it seems. He doesn't. I like the passage in Acts chapter 3, where the man that was healed of his lameness goes walking and leaping and praising God. I like that one. This guy picks up his mat and moseys off. The religious leaders ask him, who healed you? This guy hasn't even found out who it was that healed him. He didn't even bother to ask Jesus' name. He just picks up his mat and goes away. But he, he does blame Jesus for why he's carrying his mat. He says, well, that guy told me. He, the, the guy that healed me told me to pick up my mat and, and go off on my own. So again, I'm, I'm not liking this guy. Maybe you guys read this differently than I do, but I'm not liking this guy. And then later on, he learns who Jesus is, and it's that Jesus who had healed him. And he actually goes back and finds the religious leaders and says, it was Jesus that healed me and told me to pick up my mat. I'm liking him even less now because now the, the authorities are coming down on Jesus because he did a miracle on the Sabbath. And so... I'm, I'm really struggling with this guy and not really enjoying who he is. Um, Jesus finds him a little bit later. And as we've seen in other parts of John's gospel here, Jesus knows the hearts of people, right? He knows what's going on in people's hearts. He knows what's going on in our hearts today, but he knew what was going on in the people's hearts, in the crowds of people that were around him. And he comes to this guy and he, he speaks with him and he says, um, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. 
Now, that one bears a little bit of attention. We've got, we've got to spend a little few minutes on that part of the scripture. It deserves our attention because it sounds like Jesus is saying there's kind of a direct correlation between sin, uh, a one-on-one correlation between sin and bad things happening to people. But let's look at the broader context of what Jesus has said in other places. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, we'll read there where Jesus, uh, John 9, 1 through 3, Jesus was walking along and he saw a man who had been born blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. So I think we, we need to understand that there is certainly not that precise of a one-to-one correlation between sin and bad things happening, right? Uh, it's not that every time we sin, a bad thing happens in our lives or something like that. that that's a natural tendency for humans to think that way too. But the idea, uh, there are times when that we are just born blind or there are things that just happen because God uh, allows them to happen. So it's not a one-to-one correlation between sin and bad things. None of us could live in a world like that. If every time we sinned, a bad thing happened to us, none of us would be safe. So let's go back to what's going on in this passage here. It would seem that perhaps Jesus is saying to the man that there are consequences to sin. If you, you've been healed now, and there may be some consequences if you continue to sin. In fact, he may have even been saying there may be consequences to becoming an informer to the religious authorities. And if you keep on down this path, uh, bad things may happen. Certainly, what he's saying is you've been saved from, or you've been, you've been given a miracle of walking. Now, be gr- grateful for it and to get your heart right with God. Because it would be a bad thing to be healed of his lameness, but not have a right heart with God and miss out on eternal life. That would be the worst of all things that could happen to this man. So by now, you know that I'm struggling with liking this guy. He's not a positive thinker. He does not expect to receive a healing. He does not seem grateful for the healing that he does get. He's a blamer. He blames Jesus for the fact that he's carrying his mat. I would suggest to you that this may be the most unlikely person to receive a miracle from God. I think others that we see receiving miracles, we kind of look at them and go, well, yeah, we can understand why they got a miracle. We like to think of the, uh, the man who was blind who comes to Jesus and says, I want to receive my sight. That's a good thing to ask of Jesus. We like to think of the man who was lowered down through the roof of a, of a home to receive his miracle healing. We like to think, well, yeah, those people worked hard to get that healing. Or we like to think of the woman who reached out to Jesus' cloak and was healed of her bleeding disorder that she'd had for 12 years. We like to think, well, you know, she had strong faith. 
Or we like to think of Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, and we like to think, well, Lazarus and his family had always been good to Jesus, so of course Jesus was going to heal Lazarus. But this guy, (laughs) there's no apparent reason why he should get a miracle. He's just one of the many at the pool, and maybe not even the greatest one to receive a miracle. I think this shows up, my problem in my spiritual life, that I like to think that I kind of deserve a miracle or I kind of deserve what Jesus gives me. I I told you, I don't like to rely on others for the things I need. I don't like to rely on others for my spiritual life and that sort of thing. I think a lot of us kind of ask the similar question to one of what one of the religious leaders that came to Jesus asked. One of the religious experts once came to Jesus, and we'll read about this in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, and he said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Let's read Luke 10, 25 through 28. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But look at the question that the man is asking. What should I do? There is an answer to that question. What should we do to to receive eternal life? There is an answer to that question. If you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, then you can have eternal life. Sounds pretty simple, right? (laughs) But we all know it's impossible. Of course, that story leads to Jesus telling the parable of the Good Samaritan or the Samaritan man. Uh, And we, we recognize that none of us could ever love all of our neighbors perfectly. Uh, everyone is our neighbor, whoever we come upon is our neighbor, and that our rescue might come from an unlikely source. That's what that story is all about. But we realize that we cannot do, we cannot do enough to receive eternal life. So if the way to eternal life was just to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, then we presumably could have eternal life. But we know we can't do that. We know that eternal life is a free gift. What can we do to receive eternal life? Nothing. We cannot do enough to receive eternal life. Again, this kind of flies in the face of what I like to think. I like to think I can do it. I like to think that Jesus kind of likes me and therefore he gives me eternal life. 
But when it comes to eternal life in the kingdom of God, the Bible and all of the words and actions of Jesus are very clear. No human being will be justified by what they do. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Michael Wilcock, a commentator in the, uh, uh, on the Gospel of Luke, has this to say. He says, eternal life is something to be inherited. And to receive the inheritance, you have to be an heir. No amount of doing will make you into one. So, what I'm suggesting here is that the man at the pool at Bethesda was a living, walking parable or a sermon, if you like, of how we are not blessed by Jesus because of what we do. He received a free gift from Jesus that day. Now, we don't know how it turned out. I I like to think that maybe this man got on the right path, that he turned his life over to God after that and followed Jesus and became a disciple of Jesus and had eternal life at the end of his life. But we're not told the end of the story here. We're just told this bit of it and then life goes on for that man. Life would have been challenging for that man. 38 years. He'd never worked in those 38 years. He'd laid there asking for gifts of alms. How was he going to make a living? Was he going to go out and find a job as a ditch digger, as a bricklayer? What was he going to do now? He, where was he going to go? Was he going to be a furniture mover, moving mats from one place to another? <laughs> but Jesus gives him a free gift, even though he's not very deserving of it. Uh, today, the same choice is there for me. Jesus has already done many things for me. He's created this universe. He sustains this universe for us. Uh, None of us could survive if Jesus wasn't sustaining the universe for us. He's put into place things like gravity and our, our atmosphere and our weather that makes it possible for us to live here on this planet. And then he has come and lived amongst us and showed us how to live here on earth. He went to the cross for me. His body was broken. His blood was shed on that cross for me. He triumphed over the grave and, had, and showed us that we could have eternal life just like he had, has. He's given all of that to us and it's a free gift that he offers to us. If I can't fix my finger, if I can't fix my life, I have to rely upon Jesus to give me that free gift. And then I have to decide how I'm going to live out this life after that. How am I going to live this life? Am I going to live in grateful uh, life, grateful gratitude to Jesus for rescuing me? Or am I going to collaborate with his enemies? (laughs) as this man seems to be doing. I have a choice after he's given me that eternal life and after he's given me that gift in my life. The truth is we've been offered a better gift than this man was offered at the pool. He just got healed from his lameness. But we've been offered eternal life. 
I like to think we should be excited about it. Kind of like when Oprah gives away cars. (laughs) You get eternal life. You get eternal life. You get eternal life. If you don't know what I'm referring to, you know, maybe look up that meme. But we've been given eternal life. And now we live that life out for Jesus. We've been given so much more than just healing from our lameness or something of that nature. We've been given eternal life. And now we go into this world living a grateful life and living a life that is beyond this world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I look at that man and I'm not sure he was deserving of the gift you gave him. But then I look at me and I know I'm not deserving of the gift you've given me. Lord Jesus, we stand before you, human, broken, and yet you love us and you offer us eternal life. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sustaining this universe. Thank you for giving us this church where we can be your people. Help us to go from this place with your love for others. Help us to tell others about the free gift of eternal life that they can have too. Help us to be excited about what you've given us now so we might go in your grace. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.